Coming up, a love letter to the tropes of golden age mysteries. A surprising comparison of two artists. Plus our distraction of the week. I'm Mel. I'm Dave. This is the Library of Lost Time. At the top of my personal TBR this week is Murder at Black Oaks by Philip Margolin. I discovered this novel from an essay on Crime Reads. Do you know Crime Reads? I do know Crime Reads. We talked about them when we talked about LitHub. Correct. It's a website dedicated to every type of crime novel. It's an excellent place to get recommendations for thrillers, whodunits, and true crime. One of the things I like about it is that a lot of the essays and book lists are written by authors. Right. Philip Margolin is the author of this book, Murder at Black Oaks, and he wrote an essay for Crime Reads. In that essay, he explained that his goal was to write a contemporary crime story that includes every cliche from the mystery novels of the Golden Age. (laughs) That's fun. His story takes place at a manor house in the Oregon Mountains. This house is known as Black Oaks. In the world of the story, it was originally built in England in 1628, dismantled, and transplanted across the sea. Okay. It also very conveniently has a legend and a curse attached to it. Of course it does. The amateur detective out to solve the murder is a defense attorney named Robin Lockwood. She's joined on the estate by a handful of likely suspects. A suspicious butler, a gold digger, a washed-up actor. There's also a torrential rainstorm that causes landslides and traps everyone at the house. (laughs) And an inmate escapes from a nearby hospital for the criminally insane. Sounds a little bit like Clue, the movie. (laughs) It does. Finally, of course, there's an impossible murder. That happens in an old-fashioned cage elevator that's stuck between floors. I can't get to this book fast enough. (laughs) Before he became an author, Philip Margolin was a criminal defense attorney for 25 years. Oh, wow. In 1993, he wrote a book, Gone But Not Forgotten, and it became a huge bestseller, surprising everyone, including him. Three years later, he retired from the courtroom to write full-time. Oh, nice. This book is Murder at Black Oaks by Philip Margolin, and if you like it, There are five more books in the Robin Lockwood series, and they all have rave reviews. Nick Hornby has a new book out. Oh, fun. Yeah, you might recognize him as the author of High Fidelity. Uh, That book was made into a movie of the same name starring John Cusack. John Cusack, my high school boyfriend. Yeah. Not really, everyone. My (laughs) pretend high school boyfriend. (laughs) High Fidelity is now a series on Hulu with Zoe Kravitz, whose mother was in the original High Fidelity. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Hornby went on to write about a boy and 31 songs and the polysyllabic spree. He has a long history of writing about music and musicians, most notably for The New Yorker. His latest book is about the parallels between a writer and a musician. It's called Dickens and Prince, a particular kind of genius. In it, he draws parallels between Charles Dickens and the purple one. Wow. Yeah. I would not have put those two together. No, I don't think anybody would have. And when you said that, in my imagination, I just saw brown and purple. Right. You go straight from Oliver Twist to Purple Rain. Exactly. In this book, Hornby talks about their process and art, their similarities in productivity and social status, and he talks about how they experienced similar tragedies and ends and how each man changed the world. I want the book about how he came to write this book. 
How did he see the similarity? It started when there was a re-release of Sign of the Times. The re-release had something like a hundred additional tracks. Nick was thinking about who else in history has sort of overproduced that much. Mm -hmm. And his mind went to Dickens. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I wonder what the other parallels are between these two men who produced so much work and changed their worlds. Interesting. Yeah. This book is a short book. It's less than 200 pages, maybe even a long essay. It would make a good stocking stuffer. There's also an audio book that Hornsby reads. Oh, fun. Which might be great for a road trip. Vogue said it was an ardent fan letter from Hornby that makes you want to reread Great Expectations while listening to Sign of the Times, <laughs> which sounds like a great idea to me. Maybe it does to you, too. It's Dickens and Prince, A Particular Kind of Genius by Nick Hornby, and it's out now. And now our distraction of the week. This week, I want to celebrate one of the best cookbooks of all time, Betty Crocker's Cookie Book. Yes. Because it's December now. Yeah. And my thoughts are turned directly towards Christmas cookies. Yes. I know there are newer and sexier cookie cookbooks out there. But to me, this classic from 1963 is the platonic ideal of a cookie cookbook. <laughs> I will not be convinced otherwise. I think we were both raised in households with copies of this book. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it is lodged into my deep memory. Well, in any new book that comes out, I'm like, it doesn't stand up next to Betty Crocker's cookie book. <laughs> the gold standard. Yeah, it's true. Here are five reasons why this is the best cookie cookbook on the planet and probably the universe. Number one, the title. Sure. It's called Betty Crocker's Cookie Book. Because you might have grown up with her cookbooks and her cake mixes, Betty might seem real to you. She is not. She was created by an advertising agency in 1921 to give expert baking advice to home cooks. But the ring of authenticity is there. Betty is trustworthy. Betty knows her way around some butter. Betty knows how to throw a party. And you might think that cookie is spelled C-O-O-K-I-E. You would be wrong. In this book's title, it's spelled C-O-O-K-Y. And that might seem kooky. You see what I did there? <laughs> I, I do see what you did there. According to the 1961 edition of Webster's Unabridged Dictionary, when you're referencing a delicious baked treat, cookie I-E is the primary spelling, and with a Y as a variant. Okay. But if you're talking about the cook on a ranch or a ship, cookie with a Y is the primary spelling. So if you say, hey, cookie, can you bake me a cookie? <laughs> using both correctly. <laughs> okay, good to know. Reason number two, the Technicolor photos and mid-20th century illustrations. Yes. This book looks like Willy Wonka and 1960s Barbie came to life and styled the photos. <laughs> it's very true. It seemed unreal when I first saw it in, a, I'm going to guess, 1972. It has not gotten less unreal since then. Strong agree. Yeah. The color palette is all pastel pink and powder blue and mint green, but the photos are deeply saturated. Mm -hmm. And every page includes some kind of visual. My favorite section is the cookie primer section because at the bottom of the pages, there are true to life-size photos of each cookie. Nine-year-old me was all about the cookie primer. Yeah. The number three reason I love this cookbook is the writing. It's very retro 
and maybe a little bit sexist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or a yeah. lot sexist. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think it, it qualifies as sexist, yeah. But it's also somehow charming. Yeah. I will now read you a snippet. Okay. Think back. How many happy family memories are bound up with the tradition of the cookie jar? The little girl passing miniature cookies at her doll's tea party. The young serviceman proudly passing a box of mom's homemade cookies to his friends. The traveling businessman discovering a packet of favorite cookies tucked into his luggage. Who can doubt the commonplace but significant role that cookies play in a family's day-to-day life? I mean, you just don't get copy like that anymore. (laughs) It's true. Which brings us to number four. Yep. This book is infused with nostalgia. And I'm not sure that the book's perfect pastel-colored world ever really existed. Right. But when I crack it open and turn the pages, I want to believe. Yeah. And finally, the best reason to love Betty Crocker's cookie book, Russian Tea Cakes. I was thinking we were going to come down on snickerdoodles there, but I think you're right. Russian tea cakes are are the superior cookie. I'm aghast. (laughs) How dare you? Okay. Someone might argue that the perfect Christmas cookie doesn't exist. And to them, I would present a tray of Russian tea cakes. They're one-inch balls of pecan-infused butter cookies dusted in confectioner's sugar. They are perfect. They are joy. They are love. Betty Crocker's cookie book is available in a reproduction copy just about anywhere you can buy books. If you're lucky, you might be able to get your hands on an original 1963 copy at a used bookstore. First edition. First edition. Signed by Betty Crocker herself. When they created Betty Crocker, there was a competition in the office for her signature. And the signature that won that competition is still the one that's used to today since 1921. Same signature. That's amazing. Visit strongsenseofplace.com slash library for more details about Betty Crocker's cookie book and the recipe for Russian tea cakes, plus the novels we recommended this week. Thanks for joining us in the Library of Lost Time. Remember to visit your local library and your independent bookstore to lose some time yourself. Stay curious. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.